and um, uh, we would love to be able to, to get some guys together. Uh, unfortunately, I've got some commitments I've had for quite a while that I'm not going to be able to go down, but um, guys, if you uh, feel as though you'd like to go down, we'd sure love to have you uh, let Ray know about that so we can kind of put that together. Um, Sherry and I, this is all about God's timing because we, we've been wanting to go to Israel for a long time. And um, we, we, we went uh, 1st of April, and, we're, and now, obviously, because of the, uh, the war that's taking place over in, uh, in Gaza, we're very grateful that we went when we did. And we do need to pray uh, for the nation of Israel. Um, I'm not going to go that direction, but um, one of the things that I didn't realize until we got over there uh, was that uh, Israel is known for its wine. And I should have thought, I should have known that because of uh, the story of, of you know, Canaan and, and, and Jesus turning his first miracle, the water, into wine. And, um, you know, even when we were back there back in April, um, the, uh, they say that it's one of the safest airports in the world. And you don't really see a lot of um, guys with weapons and stuff, but they're there. And so going through customs in Israel is, is kind of a, uh, an experience, we'll put it that way. And, and, and uh, a lady in front of us, we were talking with her as we were getting ready to go through customs, and, and she, was, she was a pilgrim like us visiting from the United States, and she was going back uh, to, to, to this country and um, talking about a great time that we had. And, and, and so she went uh, there, and we were kind of just watching, and, and uh, the customs guy started going through her bag, and he pulled out a couple of bottles. And uh, he said, ma'am, um, these are not allowed to go through customs. And she said, well, they're just water. And he said, ma'am, this is wine. And she went, he did it again. <laughs> so that was a memorable, that was, that was a memorable, memorable way for us to, uh, to go back to Israel. So, okay, connection card. Uh, memory verse. This memory verse is almost identical to last week's memory verse. And if you were here last week, you remember I made mention of the fact that we were going to do the same memory verse twice. And it's from John 10.27. And so let's go through this again. You probably have this memorized from last week, but you might want to pay attention because this is the amplified version. It's just a little bit different than the version that I believe was from the... Uh, 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 what was the version last week? I think the uh, uh, NIV or whatever it was. I can't remember what it was. But this is just a little bit different. So let's go through this together. The sheep that are my own hear and are listening to my voice. And I know them and they follow me. John 10:27. Let's do this again. The sheep that are my own hear and are listening to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 10:27. One more time. The sheep that are my own hear and are listening to me, my voice, and they know them, and they follow me. John 10:27. Now, do you remember what the difference is between this week and last week? What's that? And they're listening. And they're listening. Okay, last week, 
the, the translation said that the sheep that are my own hear my voice. What's the difference between hearing and listening? Quite a difference, isn't there? For me, I think the best um, illustration, illustration that I can give you about, besides Leroy that we talked about last week, see, when Leroy came forward, the pastor uh, heard what he asked for. He just didn't really listen to what he asked for. And so, to me, uh, a good analogy with uh, the difference between uh, hearing and listening is at 3 o'clock in the morning, when I hear something, when I think I hear something downstairs, I wake up, then I listen. You know, as a parent, how many times have you said to maybe one of your kids, well, you thought you heard what I said, but you weren't listening. So, the significance here is this. Both with last week's message uh, about the fact that we are earthen vessels. The, the, the Bible refers to us as clay earthen vessels, or as I refer to us as cracked pots. And that God loves to use cracked pots uh, because he gets the glory. Amen? If we were all buttoned up and all perfect, which is not ever going to happen, and if we do good work, then we're likely to get the glory. And so God absolutely relishes in the fact that we are cracked pots. All together in this, in this family of God, we're a bunch of cracked pots. God gets the glory. And as we talk about the message today, this message of hope, uh, of the fact that God has given us the armor uh, to put on, because if we're, if we're cracked pots, and we are, and we're going to allow ourselves to be used by God so that he gets the glory in the process of using very ordinary folks like us to do extraordinary things through uh, his power and through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we probably need to know a little bit about the battle that we are engaged in if we're going to be used, if we're going to allow God to use us. And both of these messages, guys, are important to the extent that if we're not, lis- if we're not hearing and if we're not listening to God's voice, it's a moot point. Last week's message and this week's message are moot points. I'm going to put it to you this way. Last week's message and this week's message will have much more meaning when we, when we hear and listen to God's voice. Does that make sense, church? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I want to thank you for our worship team and for Ryan once again for leading us uh, just through um, a wonderful, powerful time of worship and praise. And uh, Father, as, uh, as we spend some time reviewing uh, your word this morning, uh, we pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that it, uh, it will touch our hearts, touch our minds, touch our spirits. And Father God, that we will leave this place just different, uh, maybe a little bit different or a lot different than when we came in. Father God, by the transforming truth and power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians. I'll save that. I don't think we have any guests for the books and for the videos, so I'll do that second service. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. For though we walk, live in the flesh, we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh and using mere human weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of the flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Let me read this again quickly. For though we walk, live in the flesh, we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh and using mere human weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of the flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. If we were in Israel right now, if we were in Gaza for sure, we wouldn't have any mistake about the fact that we're in a war. But church... In Essence Park on the 20th of July with that denim blue sky and the sun shining and 57 degrees this morning and here we're all nice and comfortable. It can be a little difficult for us to get our mind around the fact that we're in a war this morning. But make no mistake about it. We're in a war. And I believe, church, that the enemy, the devil... Satan relishes in the fact that the body of Christ has been lulled to sleep. I believe that the enemy is tickled pink about the fact that we don't feel like we're in a war. At least that's the case I'm going to state there this morning because... I think it's tough for us Western Christians in Estes Park, Colorado to wake up thinking that we're engaged in a war. And that's just the way the enemy would love to have it. Turn, in, uh, turn to Ephesians 6. I'm going to read 10 through 18. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with Him. Draw your strength from Him, that strength which His boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the strategies and all the deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, Contending only with physical opponents, but against the despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness. Against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. Stand, therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins and having put on the breastplate of integrity and of moral rectitude and right standing with God, and having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability 
the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. Lift up over all the covering shield of faith upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the sword that the Spirit wields, which is the word of God. Pray at all times and on every occasion and every season in the Spirit with all manner of prayer and, and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. Church, this is a message of hope. But we're in a war. This isn't my opinion. <laughs> we're flat in a war. And we need to remember it. We need to put on the armor of God. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that if... Um, has anybody here this morning served in the armed forces? A soldier knows. And anybody who's served in combat certainly knows. Anybody who's been under fire definitely knows that besides a soldier's courage, it is the armor and the wep and his weapon that are vital to his survival and to the success of that mission. And going into enemy territory without being properly equipped, without being properly armed, would be insane. It would be a suicide mission at that point. Amen? As a follower of Christ, and as a disciple, as one who has accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you are, we are, a warrior of light. We are... You are a soldier of the cross. Did you know this morning when you woke up that you were a soldier of the cross? You are. We are warriors of light. Verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with Him. Draw your strength from Him. That strength which His boundless might provides. Paul begins this message by instructing us to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. If we're going to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, how do we do that? Well, verse 11 says, and here's the answer. If we want to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might... Church, let me ask you this. If you want to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, can you do that on your own? Can you do that in your own flesh? If you go to MedX seven times a week, pump out, pump all that iron, are you going to be able to do that? Nope. Nope. If you eat Wheaties every morning, if you run like Floyd does three or four or five times a week in top physical condition for a young man his age, are you going to be able to put on the whole armor of God and withstand 
this kind of battle that we're in just on our own? The answer we know is what? No. Well, let me tell you a couple of of things about this guy, this spirit, this rascal. I used to have a real good friend many, many years ago that called the devil the rascal. And I don't know that there's any interpretation in the Bible that calls the devil a rascal, but I always thought that was a great, great way to refer to the devil. He's just a rascal. Here's some words that the Bible uses to describe this guy that is our mortal, mortal enemy. The angel of the bottomless pit, that's Revelation 9-11. Apollyon, or the destroyer, same verse. The accuser of our brethren, Revelation 12.10. You know, the accuser is an interesting word. And the devil, he's definitely an accuser. As I shared last week, uh, my experience with the enemy, like all of ours, is not a pleasant one. But one of the things that I'm still too willing to let him do is to accuse me. And you know, the last four letters of the word accuser create what word? User. And that's exactly what the devil does. He loves using you. He loves using people. He uses us. He, 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 spit, he, he, he takes us in. He, he just chews us up. And he throws us out on this ditch of destruction if we allow him. If we don't have on the armor of God that we're going to talk about. He's your worst nightmare. He is your worst enemy if you're a follower of Christ this morning. Make no mistake about it. This is a message of hope. This is a message of hope. But it's a hard message, and it's the truth. And I believe, I believe that the enemy would love nothing more than to continue to have the body of Christ lulled to sleep that we're not engaged in the battle. The Antichrist, the adversary, uh, the Elzebub, which means the dung god. How do you like to be referred to as the god of dung? <laughs> the ruler of demons, man of sin, the murderer, the liar, the falsifier, the prince of the power of the air, a snake, a, the tempter, the thief, and of course the enemy. And he is exactly the guy that we're talking about this morning in terms of who our real enemy is. So, putting on the whole armor of God so that we may be able to successfully stand up and, and, uh, against all the strategies and deceits of the devil. Strategies and deceits. Sounds to me like he's got a plan. You know, last week we talked about God having a purpose and a plan for your life. Let me tell you something. My understanding of this word is this. The devil has a purpose and a plan for your life. And it ain't a good one. I believe that he would love nothing more than to rob and steal and do anything he can to take away your joy, your happiness, your faith, your hope, your love, whatever. whatever he, he's, guess what, he's not proud. He'll take whatever he can take. Little by little. He wants all of it. 
That's his purpose, is to take us and do whatever he can and take us away and take our focus and take our attention and our passion and our heart for God and take it in a different direction. This is a message of hope, but we're in a battle. So, in Paul's day, it's important for us to understand kind of how battles worked. And obviously the foot soldiers in those days were pretty much um, pretty much the, the majority of, uh, of, of classification of soldiers that, that, uh, that, that did battle. And at the rear of the soldiers, of course, were the generals who oversaw and directed the battle, leading the fight through messengers and, and hand signals and flags and horns and they had a very elaborate way. They didn't obviously have the technology that we have today, uh, but so they had all these hand signals and horns and flags and messengers, and each person in the battle fought in their own way. Uh, and there were foot soldiers, archers, horsemen, messengers, and generals, and the ultimate goal of each foot soldier was to get to the general, the head of the enemy, on the other side of the battlefield. And brothers and sisters, we are the foot soldiers in God's army. That's who we are. And our ultimate enemy, the general, on the opposing force is the devil. Whatever term you want to use for him. If we're a foot soldier in the army of God, and we understand that the enemy, the evil one, Satan, the destroyer, the robber, the accuser, the liar, all of those names are the guy, is the guy that is our ultimate enemy. Then we need to protect ourselves, church, from being lulled to sleep. We need to protect ourselves, church, from being complacent. And we need to protect ourselves from being mediocre. You know, the truth of the matter is this. I believe the world sees a very mediocre body of Christ. This is a message of hope. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know if, if, the, if, if the world sees the body of Christ being anything a whole lot different than the world. Church... This is a hard message for me to preach this morning. But I've got to preach it. Putting on the whole armor of God helps us defend ourselves against mediocrity. It helps us defend ourselves against complacency. So let's take a look quickly at each, pieces, uh, each piece of this armor. The belt of truth. In Roman armor, a girdle was uh, this belt that would hold the tunic tight so that the Roman soldier could move freely. And it was also uh, uh, provided a place for the soldier to hang his sword. And the imagery here is, is this, and that is that truth holds together all other virtues. Truth is not movable. Truth is not flexible. Truth is not subject to opinion. Truth is truth. 
and truth holds together all other virtues such as character and integrity and it makes them effective. Putting on God's truth, putting on the belt of truth means living out His Word. First of all, to live out His Word, we have to have the Word where? In us. We have to take the Word of God and we have to embed it in our spirits. And because you can't, you can't put something on if you don't have it. You have to have it before you can put something on. And the belt of truth is living out His Word. But to live it out, we first have, it, have to have it in us. And church, this is a message of hope because the good news is that as we all are on this faith journey, um, working out our faith, we are covered by grace. We are covered by grace. Since the cross, have been, always will be, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, we're covered by grace. But church, we're also compelled by grace. We're compelled by grace. And we just went through the book of James. And James reminds us that faith without works is what? It's just flat dead. And so we're covered by grace. When we screw up, when we mess up, when we fall short, we're covered. But that doesn't get us off the hook to live out a life of integrity. It doesn't get us off the hook to be complacent in our walk with God. It doesn't get us off the hook for not putting on the armor of God. The breastplate of righteousness. What is the breastplate guard? Well, if you take a look at that picture, what is that breastplate guard, church? All the vital organs, right? All the vital organs of the body are in this area of our human, human body. These are where all the vital organs are. And it is the bulletproof vest that protects the heart. And righteousness is the first gift of God that was given to us through the cross. Where our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. We are covered by God's grace. God sees us as righteous. It is the first condition of the heart, the heart which, the heart which controls the course of our lives. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we acknowledge our need to remain free from sin. I want to say that again. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, not our righteousness, but our righteousness because of Christ, we acknowledge our need to remain free from sin. We're covered by grace, but we're compelled by grace to be obedient, to live a life of integrity, to live a life that looks like the life that God would want us to live. We're never going to get it perfect. This is a message of hope, but we're in a battle. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Romans knew how to build or how to make two things really, really well. The first one they knew how to make really well was, of course, devices of execution. They were experts when it came to um, putting together instruments of terror, instruments of torture. Uh, certainly the cross, we know, was an unbelievably excruciating way to die. The flagrum which was the instrument uh, on, a, on a handle and leather, uh, leather strips 
with uh, pieces of stone and glass and, and, and bone uh, tied to those leather strips. Those were, the flagrum was what was used to whip and beat our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they had to learn how to use those properly because in many cases in the process of torturing a victim, they, they would die before they had a chance to extract the information from them they wanted. So they had to, had to learn how to effectively use those. They knew how to, they knew how to make weapons of terror. The other thing Romans know to make really, really well was boots. Shod your feet with a preparation. Romans knew how to make boots really, really well. And the truth is, is that historians believe that one of the reasons that, that, that the Romans conquered as much territory as they could conquer was not just because of their weaponry, because of, but because of their boots. The Romans knew how to make Nikes before Nike knew how to make Nikes. The Caligal, the Roman military boot, was one of the most important parts of their equipment. They were designed for long marches over very rough terrain. And the gospel, the gospel gives us the stability for sure footing, allowing us the ability to march over rough terrain without giving up. The covering shield of saving faith. One of the most dangerous weapons of ancient warfare were fiery darts. The heads of the darts would be set aflame and wrapped with flax uh, or hemp fiber and then soaked in pitch. And they were, they were set on fire before they were launched. And the wooden shields that were used in a defensive mechanism could be actually set on fire. So they took those, 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 uh, those shields and covered them with a layer of hide and they were large enough to protect the entire body. And so even though the darts would, would come into these shields and penetrate the shield, because of, the, of, the, uh, of what they would put on those shields, they would extinguish the flame of those darts. And church, as followers of Christ, when we take the great commandment and the great commission, which is be disciples to make disciples in short, that's not a defensive posture. That's an offensive posture. When we take the Great Commission and Great Commandment, we're moving on the offense. And the enemy is not going to like that. The enemy does not like it when we get on the offensive. And so, if we have a choice between being in a defensive posture and an offensive posture, let's be on the offense. I'd rather have the enemy being messed with than have the enemy messing with me. Amen? He'll counterattack. We know that. He will counterattack. And he will uh, attack us with everything that he can. And everything that, that we associate with our church, our spouse, our family, our finances, our health. And our shield against these attacks is the covering shield of faith. And that is this, our belief in God and his ability to protect us and having confidence in his word. You see, there's really nothing to fear. There's really nothing to fear. As long as we have an unshakable faith and confidence in the one who loves us, the one who sent Jesus Christ to the cross so that we could have eternal life. It's that, it's, it's that confidence that we have in his word the covering shield of saving faith. 
The helmet of salvation. Well, what does a helmet protect? The head. What happens up here? <laughs> I was going to say, right? If, if you're like me, sometimes you really wonder what happens up here. Sometimes it's not a very pretty picture, is it? Well, this is where our thought life takes place. And it has been said, we, now, once we know who the enemy is, and we do, this is where the real battle takes place in our minds. And so the helmet of salvation protects our head. Gang, the devil loves to mess with our thought life. The enemy just loves to mess with our thought life. He loves to bombard us with fear, hatred, suspicion, depression, mistrust, false doctrines, and a host of other distractions. And he's a great con artist. Because he hasn't, he hasn't had one original thought in his entire existence. He just takes the truth and bastardizes it. But he's pretty good at it. When we put on the helmet of salvation, we are safe not only in the sense of deliverance from conflict and suffering, or removed from the arena of fiery darts, but we have safely moved from the destructive power of the evil forces. The helmet of salvation is the strength to overcome, even conquer, present and future sins, because the helmet of salvation is us remembering that salvation is not only forgiveness of past sins. It is the strength to overcome. It is the strength to conquer. It is the strength to overcome present and future sins. In the wearing of the helmet, this helmet of salvation, we have confidence again. Confidence that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And once we have that confidence, once we have that embedded in our spirit that nothing, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we put on that as our helmet. We have the capacity and the ability, not on our own, but because of the confidence we have in the love of God to protect ourselves from our thought life. The next to last weapon is a, is a weapon of offense, and it is the sword of the Spirit. All of these are important, but these last two are really, really important. The sword of the Spirit is clearly, clearly the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Gang, there is nothing more powerful. There is nothing more challenging. There is nothing more transforming. There is nothing more radical if you want to get radical, get the Word of God embedded in your spirit. There's nothing more powerful than the Word of God. And this is absolutely an offensive weapon for us. The sword of the Spirit. You know, an infantryman's best friend is their rifle. And if we're, if we're foot soldiers, this needs to be our best weapon, church. It's got to be our best buddy. It's got to be our strongest, strongest weapon that we can use against the enemy. There's no accident that Paul left prayer as uh, the last 
piece of armament that we're supposed to use. In the heat of battle, there's no question right now over in Gaza, there's all kinds of communication going on between the IFD and their commanders. If, if, we, could, if we could listen to that communication that's going on right now, it would blow our minds. It makes sense when you're engaged in a battle of life and death that there's communication from the foot soldiers to those in charge. And this is how we communicate as foot soldiers of Christ with the one in charge. It's through prayer. It's through prayer. And just like all of the other pieces of armament that we've talked about this morning, uh, this is an important one. This is an important one. Among all the things that prayer does, I believe that the word is very clear that it ultimately does the most important thing. And that is that it strengthens our relationship with God. Only kind of makes sense. Um, it's all about relationship. And relationship takes time, it takes effort, and it takes communication. And a great relationship, I've never seen a great relationship that didn't have a high volume of communication. Generally, the greatest relationships are because of an unbelievable amount of communication. And this is the way that we communicate with our Heavenly Father, through the power of prayer. Well, church, this is a message of hope. And one of the reasons that it's a message of hope is because the Word didn't say... Um, you're in this gigantic, enormous, deadly battle and just figure it out on your own. <laughs> Thank God, as the worship team comes forward. Thank God that, that the Bible didn't inform us, that God's Word did not inform us that we're involved in this huge, huge battle and we just have to figure it out and do the best we can. I'm glad that God gave us the menu of armament to put on ourselves this morning as we engage in this battle. So now we get to figure out how we're going to respond. We might want to continue to memorize John 10.27 and this week uh, spend just a little bit of time reflecting on the difference between just hearing God's Word and actually listening to God's Word. That subtle difference. That subtle difference. We may want to respond by examining your armor. Examining your current inventory of weaponry. I think it would be meaningful for us if we are followers of Christ, we are warriors of light, we are soldiers of the cross, and if we are engaged in this enemy 
that the Bible tells us that we're engaged in, it might not be a bad thing for us to take some time this week to examine, to look at ourselves, however we want to look at ourselves, and see how much we look like this. Symbolically, of course. How much do we look like this? I want to tell you something, church. There are days I walk out of the house with nothing but my BBDs on. That's way too much information, isn't it, I guess? But you know what I'm saying? Does anybody else feel like they just walk out into the world just saying, devil, just have your way with me today because I'm not prayed up, I'm not suited up, I'm not armed up, I'm not engaged, just have your way with me. I see a lot of heads nodding up and down. Guys, we can be a lot of things, but stupid in one of them. Why in the world would we go out into this world just naked for the devil, our mortal enemy, to whoop us? Doesn't make a lick of sense. We can be a lot of things, but stupid in one of them. Some of us may have some strongholds to surrender. And you know, again, we are covered, we're covered by grace. We're going to spend the rest of our lives in this world messing up, being very, very imperfect clay pots like we talked about last week. But we also have the ability and the need to be compelled by grace, to do business, to take action. And some of these strongholds, church, that we may have, we may be struggling, maybe, maybe this week is the time to surrender to some stronghold you've had in your life. Maybe you've been surrounding this mountain for way too long and you're ready to land the plane. I don't know what your need is. Um, but we want you to share with us how you're going to be able to make a commitment this week. If you have anything else that you'd like to uh, commit to, you can put that down there as well. And again, any prayer requests that you have, we'd love to know about those so that we can be praying for those.